Would you like to retire with enough? My name is Peter Guidry, and I am the host of the Retiring with Enough podcast. Today's podcast will be a companion piece to last week's podcast, which was entitled Almost Everything About Retirement Funding Sources. In that particular podcast, we described 18 different funding sources. That alone would be confusing enough, but in addition to having the number 18, each of those particular funding sources has particular rules, claiming strategies, and situations that exist that alter all of the basics of each of these funding sources. It's really confusing. In fact, it's confusing enough to make someone want to throw up their hands and go back to work. Hmm, certainly wouldn't want you to do that. So let's see what we can accomplish today to simplify all of these available choices before you trudge back off to the safety of a secure paycheck. I guess now would be the optimal time for me to admit that for most of my adult life, I never had a paycheck. In a solo medical or dental practice, a paycheck is normally replaced by cash flow on a daily or a monthly basis. So you never really get a paycheck. You just have people come in who pay for treatment, insurance pays, and eventually your bank account grows. And at the end of each month, hopefully you have more money than you have bills. Unfortunately, at the very beginning of my dental practice, the reverse was true, where I normally ended up at the end of the month with more bills than income. Early in my practice, my wife checked each week to see how much dirty laundry I brought home. The more dirty laundry, the busier I was. I'm happy to say that eventually my wife quit checking my dirty laundry and my checking account grew to the point where all bills could be paid at the end of each month and there was a surplus. The problem for me now is the same problem that most retirees face and that is creating a retirement paycheck or having a definite source of retirement funding. George Foreman said, the question isn't at what age I want to retire, it's at what income. And so that's the same thing that everybody considers. What kind of income do you want to retire on? I stated in the inaugural podcast of Retiring with Enough, the Foundations of Retirement, the Three-Legged Stool, that the goal was to simplify the retirement planning process. So let's try and make sense of all this available information, choices, and limitations when trying to fund retirement. Step one. The first step would be to go back and review all of the funding sources outlined in the previous podcast, almost everything about retirement funding sources. All of these funding sources are also available on my blog on the Retiring with Enough website. Step two is to list all of the sources of funding personally available. Your list should include every funding source that you currently have or will have in retirement. What you want to do is obviously omit all of the funding sources that are not available or relevant. For example, if you don't have a pension plan, don't list it. If you're not going to have an annuity, don't list it. After you've written down all of your personally available funding sources, then you're going to want to separate them into two main categories, guaranteed funding sources and non-guaranteed funding sources. So what would be considered guaranteed funding sources? Obviously, 
First on the list would be Social Security. Not only is it guaranteed for most people, but it actually increases each year with the COLA, the cost of living increases. Also, types of guaranteed income would be pensions, government pensions or retirement plans, and annuities, which also provide a lifetime stream of income once they're annuitized. What about non-guaranteed sources of retirement funding? Home equity, real estate, having a side job or a side hustle, getting an inheritance, HSA distributions, the cash value that you would receive from surrendering a life insurance policy, income from Roth accounts or Roth distributions, hobbies, company-sponsored non-pension retirement accounts, alimony from divorce, IRA distributions, brokerage or savings accounts, part-time work, and last but not least, the income generated from the sale or profits of a small business. So now you should have a divided list. On one side of the list, you should have all available guaranteed funding sources. And on the other side of your list, you should have all non-guaranteed funding sources listed. So this is where the work begins. We take our list and we want to add an estimated monthly dollar amount for each category of both guaranteed and non-guaranteed funding sources. On the Retiring with Enough website, I actually have a graph that I'll use here for example purposes. On my example, I have listed a $3,000 monthly income from Social Security on the guaranteed side. In this example, there are no other guaranteed sources of, of monthly funding. So the total here for the guaranteed side is $3,000. On the non-guaranteed side, I have listed in this example $500 of monthly income from a brokerage or savings account and a $500 income from real estate. So if we add those two together, then the non-guaranteed monthly income becomes $1,000. So what do we do with this information? Well, if you know how much you're going to spend each month, then it's just a simple matter of plugging the two numbers in. Don't know how much you're going to be spending each month, then now's a good time to go back and listen to the podcast titled Annual Spending, Did I Spend That Much? After you've listened to this podcast, you should have a pretty good idea of an estimated monthly income requirement, and that podcast should help you to quantify that number. Once you know how much your estimated monthly spending will be, then it's just a simple matter to deduct both the guaranteed and non-guaranteed income sources from that number. In our example, the required monthly income needed is $7,500. Then 7500 minus 3000 equals a monthly shortfall of $4,500. Then from that $4,500 shortfall, we can deduct the $1,000 of non-guaranteed income, which would leave us with a monthly deficit of $3,500. So that means now you have two choices. You can either live on $3,500 less or you can decide what other sources of non-guaranteed income funding that you can tap to make up for the difference. On the Retiring with Enough website, I have a second graph listed that actually shows where income exceeds the monthly income needs. In this graph, 
We have a $3,000 guaranteed monthly income from Social Security and a $1,500 per month guaranteed income from an annuity, which gives us a monthly total of $4,500 of guaranteed income. In addition to that, on the non-guaranteed side, we're generating $1,000 each month from brokerage and savings accounts, $1,500 from part-time work, and $500 from rental of real estate. In addition, there's also $500 from the company-sponsored non-pension retirement accounts, which gives us a non-guaranteed income of $3,500 in this particular example. So if we add both of those up, our estimated monthly income equals $8,000. If we've already decided that our monthly income needs are $7,500 and our monthly income is $8,000, then we actually have an excess of $500 per month. And instead of the $3,500 that we saw, which was a shortfall from the first example, there's actually a $500 surplus in the second example. The option in the second example would be to increase spending, decrease the income from one or more of the non-guaranteed sources, or just take that $500 and reinvest the difference for additional future income. But realistically, the concern for most pre-retirees and retirees will be how to generate monthly income from the non-guaranteed income side. We've identified how many of the non-income levers can be utilized that are not guaranteed, but what is the most tax-efficient and effective options? And what are the best sequences for utilizing these different income sources? So now our step five will be to evaluate the non-guaranteed income sources in terms of whether their use will increase taxable income. This is important because taxable income will affect the sequence of use. Maybe this year you want more or less taxable income. Using different non-guaranteed income sources may or may not increase taxable income depending on how and when they're utilized. So again, I'm going to refer back to the Retiring with Enough website for the chart, which breaks down both taxable and non-taxable, non-guaranteed income funding sources. So it's kind of important right now that I disclose that this is going to be a brief discussion and also may be a bit confusing because if you look at the chart on the Retiring with Enough website, some particular funding sources are actually listed on both the taxable and the non-taxable side of the graph. So how is that possible? Well, it depends on a lot of different things. No one said that this retirement stuff was going to be quick and easy, but I'll try and simplify it as much as possible. So I'll address each income funding source separately and try not to get too deep into the woods with anyone in particular. We'll start with an IRA, which is an individual retirement account, or as it's known by the United States government, an individual retirement arrangement. IRA contributions are tax-deferred, but IRA distributions are normally taxed at ordinary income rates. At some point in every investor's life, they will be faced with MRDs, minimum required distributions of tax-deferred accounts like IRAs. There are a couple of workarounds to reduce these MRDs 
but just for the sake of brevity and simplicity, we're not going to discuss those here. The second line item are brokerage and or savings accounts, which are listed on both taxable and the non-taxable side of the graph. So how can that be? Well, it really depends on where the funds come from within the brokerage or savings account. The capital, which is the money that you've placed into the brokerage or savings account, is money that's already been taxed. So normally, these dollars can be spent or removed from the brokerage or savings account without creating a taxable event. But what about the money that the capital generates? Earnings are normally taxed at ordinary income rates, but not always. Some dividends from certain savings accounts and CDs are qualified, which means that you'll pay capital gains rates instead of ordinary income rates, and normally with the sale of a stock in which there's a profit, then those profits will be taxed at the capital gains rate and not the ordinary income rate. Income from part-time work is usually taxable at ordinary income rates, as well as the income from a small business. However, not all income from a small business is going to be taxed at ordinary income rates, because if that business is sold, in most cases, part of the income generated from the sale of the business will be taxed at ordinary income rates, and part of that sale proceed will be taxed at capital gain rates. Dollars generated from the sale of a personal home can end up being either taxable or non-taxable. As of the date of this podcast, the first $500,000 of profit from the sale of a house for a married couple is sheltered from tax. And any profits above this $500,000 threshold would then become taxable. Real estate holdings other than the personal residence can be either taxable or non-taxable depending on the situation. Normally, income generated from rentals is taxed as ordinary income, but the sale of an investment piece of property may generate a profit or a loss depending on the particular situation of that sale. Profits from the sale of investment real estate usually are taxed at a capital gains rate. Income from a side hustle is usually taxable, and income from an inheritance may or may not be taxable. For the vast majority of people, proceeds from life insurance and the total amount of an inheritance is below the applicable rates and is sheltered from taxes. HSA distributions, again, may or may not be taxable, but normally qualified distributions are tax-free. Cash value life insurance usually is a combination of return of principal and earnings, and so Therefore, part of it is usually taxable and part of it is usually non-taxable. I also have Roth accounts listed as both taxable and non-taxable, and I'm sure people are going to scratch their heads about that one. In the vast majority of cases, distributions from a Roth account are non-taxable. There are certain situations, such as someone who takes a distribution from a Roth account prior to 59 and a half, or the distributions are made from an account that is less than five years old. In both of these situations, the proceeds of the distribution become taxable, and sometimes penalties may apply. Hobbies normally generate taxable income if there is any income. Company-sponsored non-pension retirement accounts 
may be taxable or non-taxable and alimony from a divorce may be taxable or non-taxable depending on when the divorce was finalized. As divorce is finalized after January the 1st, 2019, have abolished taxation of alimony payments. So even with the simplified explanations provided above, it's pretty easy to see that there are numerous rules, exceptions, and conditions that make navigating these funding sources a pretty daunting process. Ten of the 14 samples can either be taxable or non-taxable under different conditions. In several cases, the information has changed recently, and the information correct today may be incorrect in a short period. So this is one of the situations where self-education or professional assistance is warranted in most cases. Future podcasts will attempt to deep dive into some of the more involved funding sources in an attempt to provide simple and relevant information. Also, sequencing and tax optimization will be discussed in future podcasts. And now a few final thoughts. Building a retirement paycheck can be a daunting process due to the complexity and the variability of funding sources. The steps provided in this podcast help to simplify that process by generating a retirement paycheck. One of the primary steps is to separate funding into guaranteed and non-guaranteed sources of retirement funding. The five steps provided separate retirement funding into guaranteed, non-guaranteed sources, and they provide information on the tax status of each non-guaranteed funding source. This is an important process. This is the money that you and I will use for living expenses after retirement. The retirement spending plan should be carefully and thoughtfully formulated. In my next podcast, we'll discuss the art of timing. As always, thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave a review. And if you want to partake in an online conversation, be sure to search for the Retiring with Enough group on Facebook. Thanks. The information and opinions contained on this podcast are for general education and are considered general communications. Information on the podcast was obtained from various sources and retiring with enough does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information presented. Retiring with enough strongly recommends that you perform your own independent research and or speak with a qualified investment professional, legal advisor, or tax professional before making any financial decisions. The information and opinions expressed should not be construed as financial planning and does not consider the economic status or risk profile of any specific person, nor does it constitute an offer to buy or sell securities.